Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 49, headlined by a catchweight bout between Islam Mahachev and Bobby Green. Five-round main event here, short notice spot for Bobby Green. Uh, and the weigh-ins just wrapped up about an hour ago. I believe we only had one weight miss on the scale, uh, one skeptical one uh, on that Joel Alvarez side, but we're glad to see him make weight. Uh, and I can't wait to break down the card a little bit more with you guys uh, later on in this podcast. Um, yeah, I guess without further ado, I might as well just bring in my guest here, big time guest here. I'm very excited to have my guy on. Been Twitter DMing with him for a couple, uh, I'd say a year, two years at this point in time. Uh, love the guy, very sharp dude, one of the best in the game. Co-founder of MMA Junkie, used to work for The Athletic as well, I believe headed The Athletic Department as well. And now he's just a gambling degenerate like one of us as well as doing gambling content himself over there in Virginia. Dan Stop, ladies and gentlemen. Dan, how's it going, brother? Great. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate uh, you having me on. It's good to be here. Absolutely. I don't think I've ever seen you really do any video content or anything like that, right? You're usually the guy behind the keyboard and, and doing up the, the typing and editing and all that stuff. Am I mistaken as to, as to say that this is one of your first ever like video appearances? Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've done so, you know, I was a pretty uh, regular guy on uh, MMA Junkie Radio back in the day with uh, yeah. George Goes and stuff. But uh, and I've done some gambling stuff for our companies, you know, over at Katina Media. But yeah, for the most part, this is kind of my first one. And, and I guess I should couch it by saying I'm not the sharpest handicapper, but I know who are the sharp handicappers. And I usually pay attention uh, to what they're saying and, and try to get a, a little narrative in my head about how I'm going to bet on the fights and, and I've done fairly well but definitely not the sharpest mind but thankfully we got people like you we can piggyback off of i i appreciate that my man but for sure you have a ton of knowledge that pertains to the mma game and i think that's very valuable especially when breaking down a card or even maybe picking up on things that the layman may not be able to pick up but you put in years and years and years into this game so i very much trust your insight and any type of information you have to lend but i wouldn't be doing a damn good job of my my podcasting world here if i did not uh, kind of address the elephant in the room, which is uh, one of the uh, founding, or not the founding, one of the first OG members at MMA Junkie, uh, leaving the nest uh, officially as of tomorrow. Uh, you were responsible for actually hiring uh, our guy, John Morgan, uh, to, to work for you guys over there at MMA Junkie. And it's hilarious how this timing just worked out in terms of him coming on my show and him actually announcing it himself. Um, I feel like he's one of the last guys over there from the original team of the MMA Junkie squad uh, to, to actually end up leaving what are your thoughts on that you know have you spoken to john uh, anything you can tell us regarding that yeah no we uh um you know we we were uh, communicating last night you know and and catching up uh, you know i left uh junkie um i guess about two and a half years ago uh, not on the greatest of circumstances we just kind of had a difference of opinion for kind of the, the direction the site should be heading um, you know, I think John kind of reached that that breaking point too. But I don't know, just kind of hearing his announcement that he was leaving, it, it brought back such a, a rush of memories from the early days of MMA Junkie. And it really was just he and I kind of, you know, trying to, to run a 24-hour-a-day uh, news operation where, you know, I didn't want to take a day off because that meant he was responsible for the entire day and he didn't want to take a day off. And um, you know, I, I founded the website with uh, a couple other guys and, and kind of got it off the ground. Um, you know, uh, Tom Cummins really focused on marketing and, and Eric uh, Foster uh, focused on kind of the tech and stuff. And then, you know, we all kind of did a lot of things. But from an editorial standpoint, I mean, John was basically one of the founders of MMA Junkie. He helped me put together kind of our editorial philosophy and, and kind of how we were going to approach the sport, which was you know, we, we cover it fairly, but at the end of the day, we're trying to celebrate the sport. You know, I, you know, we kind of grew up, uh, you know, in the sport in a different era, too, where it, it was really fighting for credibility and even its life. You know, yeah. there were a lot of times where we worried that, you know, there just wouldn't be a platform for the sport because no one wanted to really be involved in it. And, you know, we look back now and, and the UFC going from, you know, like, uh, you know, versus to, to Eon TV for prelims to Facebook. But then you start getting into the Fox and the ESPN and you you, you realize, you know, things are, are comfortable and safe. But in those early years, you, you really felt like you had to be an ambassador for the sport on top of being a journalist. Um, you know, there were still a lot of misconceptions about how 
unsafe the sport was, you know, and, and not that it's a safe sport, but compared to some other ones, it really wasn't that outlandishly different. So anyway, I know that's a, a long-winded answer to your question, but but really, I mean, seeing John leave MMA Junkie, it, it kind of feels like, you know, George and Goes are still there from MMA Junkie yeah. Radio and, and Matt Erickson and Mike Bond, who have all played, you know, big parts of the, the website. But as far as kind of those really early UFC junkie days, we weren't even MMA junkie days. Yeah. Uh, John is definitely an OG. He's basically a co-founder of MMA Junkie. And obviously, I wish him, for, wish him the best. There is nobody that I have ever worked with that loves and, and feels as much for MMA as that guy does. No, for sure. It's awesome seeing him on at every single UFC card, pretty much, right? No matter if it's in Gdansk, Poland, or whether it's just up the street from him in Las uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. It's awesome to actually see him uh, be out there, and I can't wait to hear what he has coming up for him. I'm pretty sure he's going to announce it in the next couple of days as well, so that's pretty good. I wanted to put attention to it because I just feel it's not being talked enough about on the uh, on the timeline or anything like that. Like I definitely put him up there as one of the best journalists out there. Like uh, him, Ariel Hawani all those guys are chuck mendenhall like all those guys are the top top uh, of the game and i feel like it should be getting a little bit more coverage but then again there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now dan so i'm sure <laughs> if it this, wasn't this, for other things going yeah. on he'd probably be getting that shine <laughs> yeah if we didn't have world war three starting we could pay a little more attention to the white shadow over there but uh no i mean i i should say the covering this sport is a grind and and you know i those first few years, I mean, first 10 years of covering MMA, like it, it you know, it was wonderful in a lot of ways and, and it kind of ruined me in a lot of ways. It makes you a very jaded person and you throw on traveling 20 or 30 times a year living out of suitcase. I mean, it will make you the worst version of yourself. And the fact that it makes John the best version of himself just blows my mind. I mean, this guy is meant for this job. So hopefully we see him, you know, somewhere where he can keep doing what he's been doing. Absolutely. I can't wait to see where he lands as well, but I'm sure he'll definitely thrive in that position as well. All right, uh, Dan, we're, we are here to break down UFC Vegas 49. Obviously, uh, the weigh-ins just wrapped up. We only had one weight miss on the scale, uh, which was uh, Rong Zhu. We'll obviously talk about that fight once we get up there. Um, I'm interested to hear, since you have been around the game for as long as you have, is there one like weigh-in moment that kind of sticks out to you the most, whether it's a fighter missing weight or if it's one weigh-in that was super like uh anticipated is there anything that sticks out to you there, there is nothing that compares to elite xc weigh-ins from back in the oh, day yeah. where it was just i mean it was a disaster you had uh kimbo and his entourages i you know i remember the one with kimbo and, and uh ken shamrock who they didn't even end up fighting you know it was a <laughs> petroselli fight yeah but i mean it was just so staged and so over the top and and ken was trying so hard and Poor Kimbo looked lost to kind of what was going on. You know, he knew he was supposed to be the tough guy. And he was like, wait, dudes aren't supposed to be shoving me in the back, you know? <laughs> like, uh, But no, I mean, I just kind of those uh, those early Elite XC ones, some of the other small organizations that, you know, kind of came and, and went. Like, you just, it, it was madness. But, um, you know, obviously, you can think of the Gina Carano towel drop one, too, if you oh, really yeah. want to get into. I'm sure it, most it, of the fanboys remember that one. I mean, I say that partially <laughs> as a pervert, but I mainly say it because, <laughs> I mean, that was time where I had, like, you know, other fighters and, and media members hitting me up, like, hey, were you at the Wayans? Do you, do you snap any photos? <laughs> what is wrong with you? And, and you know, you just... Thankfully, you know, MMA, there, there's a lot of kind of uh, weirdness and ugliness in this sport. And and there are a lot of perverts in this sport. So the weigh-ins kind of, you know, men and women, it just, it, it really brings out kind of the the creep in a lot of people. So. For sure, for sure. <laughs> All right, let, let's get to the to the card here. The first fight we have coming up is Victor Altamoreno coming in at 123 pounds. He's taking on Carlos Hernandez, who's coming in at 125 pounds. In terms of odds, uh, we currently have minus 145 on Hernandez, who's been taking some action throughout this week uh buffing him up to the 140 uh minus 145 line uh obviously the return on victor is about uh plus 125 i'm never a fan of when the ufc does this is when they when they put two guys together that are just coming off the contender series or just coming off the ultimate fighter like i get it when they have the ultimate fighter finale shows i don't mind them putting guys that were on the show that didn't make it to the finals together i get it but like yeah. their next fight or you know if they're not fighting on ultimate fighter finale what's the point of putting them together there's a reason and you guys had them on that show now you have them in the ufc at least have them fight somebody who's already 
in the UFC, at least has one fight in the UFC. So we can be like, okay, this guy doesn't have the UFC jitters or whatever we like to call it when they come into the UFC. But still, a very fun fight here between two guys that I think should be able to throw down and give us an entertaining fight. Victor Altamoreno has a Taekwondo back down, uh, background, I should say, sorry. It likes to kind of just kick at range, let his hands go every now and then. But the one flaw in his game that I found was that uh, his takedown defense is just not the greatest. More often than not, you see him on his back. And I think that's where uh, Carlos Hernandez will be able to get him more often than not. And then even in the striking range, I think Hernandez should be able to hold his own. His only issue is that he accepts the back foot a little bit too much. He allows his opponent to kind of dictate the pace on the feet. But uh, there's a reason he has a solid record the way that he does. Because even on his back foot, it seems like he's almost pulling his opponents into his strikes so that he can kind of counter forward pivot off and then get back into range but ultimately continuously just start moving backwards optically speaking doesn't look good to the judges but i think with that takedown in his back pocket he could potentially sway the judges in in his favor with the takedown here or there he might not be able to control Altamarino the most on the ground here, but I do think that uh, that will look good to the judges getting the takedowns and then having the striking relatively competitive. I think that's why the line is starting to move towards the Hernandez side. People are starting to see the same thing there. Uh, I am taking him to win. There's just a lot of question marks I have about both guys still, which is why ultimately I'll be staying away from this fight. They both look great on the scale, not to mention Altamarino came in two pounds under. How often do you see somebody actually take uh, you know, that, that those extra poundages just to be safe? Uh, but I still do like Hernandez in the spot. How about yourself? I'm actually on the other side of it, you know, kind of just as a general rule. I, I, I really like kind of small underdogs, you know, betting MMA. I think a lot of times you have kind of a 50-50 fight that, uh, you know, the, the odds maker is open with a, a small favorite and then that guy, guy kind of gets bet up a bit. I think that's a, a kind of what we're seeing a bit here. Like you said, though, it, it's hard to really make much of this fight. You, you have two guys who came through the contender series, but didn't necessarily look, you know, fantastic during it. It, it almost feels like this is kind of a another audition fight. And, and we were also used to guys winning, uh, you know, earning their contracts off big knockouts and, and stunning submissions, not yeah. a, a couple of split decisions, you know. Or, Weird, right? Yeah, it, it, it's hard to get excited for it. You know, and like you said, just match them up with a non-contender guy and then, you know, you can kind of change the whole narrative. I think the guy who wins this fight really isn't going to do much to, to kind of help himself except kind of keep a job. But anyway, I, I think Altamarino kind of with a, a better gas tank, um, you know, like I said, I, for the most part, I see it as a 50-50 fight. Um, so I'm going to lean toward the plus money. But I could also see this just going to the decision, you know, first fight of the night, kind of the jitters, the guys feeling each other out. We, we've seen them go to decisions on the, the contender series. Uh, it's still pretty chalky. I think it was minus 150 last I saw. So I'm not sure there's really any value there. So I don't know, probably dog or pass situation for me. Yeah, I like that you brought up the, the fight goes to decision. I think that is a damn good spot here. Both guys, I think that the only way we see a finish is an Alta Moreno submission. Outside of that, I think that uh, neither guy hits with a, a ton of power or, or a ton of finesse, which should make this fight go the full 15 minutes. Uh, yeah, I do like that angle as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got short notice from Miz Brahimai coming in at 170.5 pounds. Michael Gilmer uh, going down to 170 uh, pounds as well. He weighs in right on the nose as well. Uh, in terms of odds, we got heavy chalk on the Brahimai side. Minus 400 for him, plus 300 the return on Michael Gilmer. Uh, I'll let you lead this one off, Dan. Uh, how do you feel like this match will go down? I mean, I, I think it's lined, you know, pretty well. I, you know, I, I don't like... To, to trash fighters and, you know, in the early days of MMA junkie, a big thing with uh, MMA was no fighter bashing because it just seemed <laughs> like to get out. So this isn't fighter bashing, but I just feel like Gilmore isn't a, a, a good fighter. He's never really beat anybody uh, who was, you know, kind of worth a, a damn. Um, he wasn't good on tough, wasn't good in his first UFC fight. Um, you know, he could connect with some strikes, and, and um, I don't think he has to be too scared of a, maybe a takedown, or he does have to be scared of the takedown. Um, uh, you know, he's 34 years old. I don't see a whole lot of room for movement here. I, you know, the thing that stuck out to me, it, uh, again, I kind of really kind of uh, jump into the numbers to see if there's something interesting there. And uh, Brahami winning inside the distance is minus 150, which, you know, kind of intrigues me. But uh, there's also him winning via sub minus 105, where I, I feel like if you're going to to pick him, why pick inside the distance when every one of his wins have been by submission? So, uh, you know, I say that, of course, you play him my sub and he gets his first knockout. But, you know, <laughs> what are you do? I mean, if you're looking for a way to play this fight, which is obviously very chalky, 
I, I think him winning by sub for me would be the only way to go about it. I have a bad taste in my mouth for like picking a specific method of victory strictly due to the Tyron Woodley and Darren Till fight where I picked Tyron Woodley by knockout and then he goes out there and pulls off his first submission in the UFC. Dar's choke nonetheless. God damn, that was that was one of the more uh, better pills to swallow there. But yeah, I, I am in agreement with you here. I think Ramiz goes out there and does what he needs to do to get the win. Obviously, uh, fell short in his last appearance back in January against the veteran Court McGee. But unfortunately, or sorry, fortunately here, uh, he gets to try to right that wrong a month later. Um, I think it was Bilal Muhammad uh, on somebody's interview, uh, uh, half the battle, shout out to Dan Levy, uh, had said that Ramiz was very much broken up after that fight and was very much down on himself. And Bilal was trying to instill that motivation and courage to him to be like, hey, you still got a shot to save your UFC career. Whenever you get that next opportunity, let's go out there and get it done. And you got to believe he's going to come in with a fire here against Michael Gilmer, who, like you said, we're, we're trying to be as nice to these fighters as possible. This guy, luckily, you know, has gotten a, two UFC fights, and that will likely be it for this guy because I think uh, he's really going to falter under the pressure of some of these much better fighters that he's going up against. I think it's really because he did that short notice thing on Ultimate Fighter for the UFC as to why he's getting these cracks, yeah. even after getting finished by uh, Gilbert Urbina uh, in the first round of the Ultimate Fighter there. But uh, again, the favor is over. Ramiz Brahim goes out there, gets the submission. As a favor, we'll let you go get beat up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We'll give you a half a paycheck, and you can just go get choked out by this guy twice. But we'll see how it goes down. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got... Um, uh, Alejandro Perez weighing in at 144.5 pounds. He's going up against Jonathan Martinez, who came in at 144 pounds. Uh, in terms of odds, we got minus 275 on Martinez, plus 220 to return on Alejandro Perez. Now, uh, earlier this week, it was told that this fight was originally scheduled at bantamweight, now at featherweight. Uh, I thought that it was the Martinez side because we know Martinez has had some issues with the skill over his last couple of fights, even had to pull out of one, uh, I believe, on weigh-in day, if I'm not mistaken. But turns out that it was the Alejandro Perez side of things that uh, wanted to get this uh, fight up to 145 pounds, which I found interesting. Uh, this is his second fight back from that extended layoff that he had, obviously. Uh, he was able to pick up a win in that comeback fight against Johnny Eduardo. 40-something-year-old uh, Johnny Eduardo. Still no idea why he decided to come back after his own extended layoff. But uh, Alejandro Perez started slow in that fight, managed to get the fight to the ground in the second round, and then eventually found that beautiful arm bar from that crucifix position, something we don't see every day in MMA. So shout out to him for that finesse of a finish. But here, I think he's completely unmatched against Jonathan Martinez, who a lot of people are saying that his issue is his durability, like getting knocked out. But when we go over his record, he only got finished by Davy Grant, right? Or at least by knockout by, by Davy Grant. So I think people just have that fresh in their mind. So they're like, okay, this guy's chinny now. But I think if he's able to able to establish that range, able to establish his movement and footwork as we know him for, he should go out there and style on uh, Alejandro Perez and look all of that minus 275 that he's currently sitting at. So uh, I don't mind Martine, Martinez here. I uh, don't even mind chucking him into a parlay either. Uh, but I think if you're looking uh, to bet him and try to get the best price possible, taking him to win by decision at plus 120 is not too bad of a gamble. My only concern for that would be why did Perez decide to put, push this fight up to 145 pounds? And is that going to affect his durability in this fight? Maybe it's an injury, maybe, you know, bad weight cut, whatever it may be. That's my only concern as to, you know, potentially not playing that Martinez by decision line. But Martinez should roll here. Uh, obviously, well coached up there at Factory X with our guy, Mark Montoya. And I think that they're going to put together a very good um, game plan to dispatch of the veteran uh, Alejandro Perez, who I've always felt is underrated. But I feel like he's just going to be outmatched in this fight. Martinez is just too good, especially when he gets into his groove. How do you feel about this matchup, Dan? Yeah, I, I really can't get over the weight thing. You know, I know we've got guys who, uh, you know, we kind of expect them to move to, to miss weight or they, they they kind of go about it in a calculated way, you know, ahead of time. And, and we know they're going to come in heavy. Um, you know, I, I don't think this was a, a calculated play on Perez's part. I think something obviously went wrong. Uh, whether it was an injury or, or just, you know, body shutting down or whatever it was. But, I mean, whatever it is, it doesn't bode well for him. If anything, I think it it bodes extremely well for Martinez, who I think has struggled a, a bit, you know, to get down to the limit. And, and knowing that, you know, I, I just feel like that's such a huge mental issue you're taking off him, you know, with the extra weight. And, and I don't think, you know, I guess he could worry that, well, you know, may mean that my opponent has an advantage. But, again, he's not the type of guy who plays that game. So, 
Um, you know, for that reason that, you know, I, I was leaning obviously Martinez anyway. Um, but, you know, with the weight stuff, it, it, it just it, it's hard for me to get beyond that. I actually kind of like him inside the distance at, at plus 200. I, I think that's a good way to go about it. Um, you know, I, Perez has some skills, but I think the main one's just kind of durability. Yeah. Um, so the, there's part of me, you know, initially I was looking at this as, well, maybe it doesn't go to the decision. You know, if he's tired, um, you know, if something's going on, but I, I don't think it necessarily bodes well for Perez in, in, in any of those situations, which kind of made me lean toward Martinez uh, inside the distance. So, um, you know, I, I can understand the rationale of, of picking him decision just, you know, with the weight stuff and kind of those question marks. And I love a big plus number. So uh, I'm a sucker for those. <laughs> Uh, hopefully you get to catch it this week and we'll see how that goes for you, my brother. All right, let's move on to the next one here. Uh, a fight that's been talked about for the last couple months because it was scheduled, I believe, for back in November. We got Terrence McKinney weighing in at 156 pounds. Uh, on the flip side, we got Ferris Liam weighing in at 155 pounds. In terms of odds, we currently have, uh, I believe, uh, minus... 115 for Ferris and minus 105 for Terrence McKenney seems to be a pretty easy fight to break down in terms of, you know, one guy wrestler, Terrence McKenney, you know, even going to the extent of saying he wants to challenge Hamza Shamayev to a wrestling match, uh, might be biting off a little bit more than he can chew there, but maybe that American wrestling will come through for him. Uh, and then on the flip side with Ferris, him solid kickboxer really likes to use the range and distance and kind of let his kicks and combinations go from there. But uh, the, this, the bet that I was originally looking at when they were first scheduled to fight each other was either the under two and a half or the fight doesn't go to decision, which uh, is currently now sitting at, let me just get the accurate number, because last time I looked, it was minus 185. Uh, fight doesn't go to decision up to minus 225 now. Under two and a half uh, is closer to that minus 175 range, depending on the bookie that you're using, of course. Um, my only concern is... If McKinney does start to slow down, as we've seen him slow down, obviously, Sean Woodson was able to send his head into orbit with that flying knee on the contender series. But uh, on the Ferris-Diem side, if he plays it a little bit too safe, a little bit too calculated, and doesn't go for the kill in the second or third rounds, even with McKinney slowing down, that's what's kind of scaring me off that fight doesn't go to decision line anymore. But... Even with the prediction that I have here, which is McKenny round one, I think he gets this guy to the ground, and I think he smashes him from on top. That would cash the fight, doesn't go to decision. But I wouldn't mind taking a, a little bit of a, ch a chance here on McKenny to win in round one, which is currently sitting around plus 350. A little bit of a gamble there, but the majority of his wins coming in that first round. Uh, the guy has tremendous power when he's able to you know, posture up from full guard. Then you've been around the sport for a long time. Not often do we see somebody be able to knock anybody out from that full guard position the last one that comes to mind is curtis blades elbowing alistair overeem's head into oblivion over and over again from that full guard but terence mckinney with his lanky frame and the way he's able to generate power from those spots can just absolutely devastate his opponents on the ground in terms of his striking i think he's a little bit limited outside of a, a he has a decent cross down the middle and a sneaky head kick that he's been able to knock out a couple people with i'd be surprised if zm gets uh you know lulled into one of those but i do think that we'll see mckinney land the takedown here and then from there he should be able to dominate from on top eventually finding that finish uh do you see this fight any differently how do you see this one going down not really. I, you you may have kind of talked me into to playing the round one because kind of the <laughs> way I was going about it was, you know, McKinney, I, at last I saw, I think the best I could see what I'm looking at now, plus 105, plus 108 looks like the best you're going to get. It's kind of hard to get excited about that. So I was looking inside the distance at like plus yeah. 190, plus 200. I just don't see him winning unless he probably wins inside the distance. I, you know, I could see him uh, start getting away the second and third round, like you say, he just gets a little tired and uh, so if I'm going to play McKinney, it was probably inside the distance. But honestly, the more I think about it and, and kind of what you said, I, I really don't even like his chances beyond round one. So that that may be the play. And honestly, uh, I, I'm surprised they that's not, you know, a little chalkier that they, you know, didn't take into account kind of the, the recent string of wins. I don't think there's kind of any reason to think that if he keeps winning or, or wins this fight, it's not going to look like the the other recent ones that he did quickly. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I don't have an official play on it yet, but I likely will go out there and try to uh, try to take advantage of that plus 350. Hopefully get a better line on Pinnacle once Pinnacle drops them as well, because I love me some Pinnacle, Dan, if you don't know, already know. <laughs> Probably one of the best uh, sports books north of the border as well. So for anybody who's in Canada, make sure you guys check out Pinnacle. Probably one of the best lines you'll get out there. All right. 
Let's move on to the next fight here. We got a women's featherweight scrap between Josiane Nunez, who weighed in at 145.5 pounds, and short notice Ramona Pasquale weighing in at 146 pounds. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 220 for Nunez and plus 180 the return from Ramona Pasquale. Uh, Dan, I'll let you kick this one off, brother. How do you think this one goes down? Yeah, it's just a weird fight. You know, I'm, I'm not real sure kind of what to expect out of Pasquale. Um, I, you know, I, I was trying to dig up a little on her because I, I don't even really remember, you know, I, I didn't even know what she looked like, basically, <laughs> to, to, to check it out. And then it looked like, you know, kind of the people that she's fought with the best records were four and five and two and oh. Um, but she does look strong. She looks big. She looks sturdy. I, I think she's gotten uh, better. You know, I saw one of her fights from four or five years ago and, and definitely looked a little rigid and more recently looks a, a little more fluid. I, I think she's 33, so it's hard to imagine she's going to get a, a whole lot better at, at this point in her career. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing that that kind of jumped out at this is, is you know, a, a, a over under of uh, a round and a half for a woman's fight which, you know, I, I think usually I would automatically jump to something like this. It's like, how many times do we have to keep telling ourselves, this is going to be the one to go under and then <laughs> a, a three round fight. Uh, but there's just so many unknowns here. Uh, you know, I know Nunes has KO power and could finish quickly. Uh, she's got a lot of stoppages, but it, it's just, it's hard to know because I, there's there's so many, uh, we really don't know how Pascal is going to, um, you know, uh, deal with adversity or even fighting you know kind of on this uh, this stage it's a smaller ufc event but obviously it's still a big deal to fight in the ufc so i don't know you know i would lean uh, towards the favorite maybe nunez inside the distance but those prices are so high at uh you know at, at chalky numbers so i mean i'll probably just steer clear of it and and really try to you know look like a genius for not getting sucked into playing the over round and a half you're absolutely right that we don't often see the one and a half total stuck on, on a women's MMA fight, right? More often than not, that's reserved for a cyborg or Amanda Nunes, but you know, we got a Josie and Nunes here. I'm not sure if she'll be able to live up to the Nunes name in this spot. But well, with Ramona Pasquale, it's clear she needs to get this fight to the ground. We've seen it work in a couple of her past fights, but the level of competition, like you had uh, noted, very skeptical, very sketchy. Is she going to be able to do that against a girl like Josie and Nunes, who even her regional record and, you know, level of competition on the regional scene, very sketchy itself. But one thing is for sure with Nunes, she can crack, right? I believe she has eight victories, seven of them coming via knockout, obviously, most recently against Bea Malecki back in August, uh, a fight that I was actually live for. And seeing her crack Bea Malecki like that was absolutely insane to see uh, Malecki go down like a ton of bricks at the, the way that she did. Uh, she had a huge reach advantage in that fight, but just could not establish it with Nunes just hard-nosing it the entire way, getting right into her face, getting into the pocket, and letting those strikes go. Uh, Pasquale, on the other hand, I don't think she's ever been hit by a girl like Nunes before, so that's kind of my concern, is if she gets dinged on the uh, in the head, how is she going to react? Is she going to be able to, uh, is she going to shoot a reactionary takedown, which might work here because Nunez's takedown defense doesn't look the greatest either. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, this look like Nunez almost finishing her on the feed, but Pasquale pulls off a takedown and then starts to slow the fight down again, which is why I was kind of tinkering with that over one and a half as well, because if Pasquale is successful at all in this fight, She's going to get the grappling going and she's going to be able to slow this fight down. But will it be long enough for seven and a half minutes, though? That That's the concern because it seems like a Nunes, it might only take one and Ramona could down, go down like a ton of bricks, just like Bea Malecki did back in August. So uh, a big question marks here from both sides. I'm seeing a couple of people on Twitter calling her uh, Romano Medov or something, Romano Medov, <laughs> hoping that she comes out with the wrestling thing that what she should. Um, I, I just don't have the cojones to go out there and bet that plus money on her. If I were to take the shot, I'd assume that she wins this fight via decision just by using her grappling and just kind of maintaining that top position. And that line is currently sticking at mine, or sorry, plus 360, plus 400, depending on the spot you're looking at. I think that would be the best prop to take. Otherwise, taking Nunes to win inside the distance has worked out seven out of eight times. I think it probably could work out here as well with noon uh, uh against pasquale nunez via knockout currently sitting at minus 115 or plus 100 depending on where you're looking at uh, as a prediction i'm gonna go with the pasquale side i think we see her bring out that wrestling singlet drag this fight to the ground the only bet that i'm kind of intrigued by is the over one and a half at minus 140 minus 135 but you're gonna get sucked into it you can't, I, you can't i don't know dan i'm trying my best not to as of right now i only have 
uh, three official bets. And I, I don't know if I want to make any more. We'll, we'll talk about them when, when we get to those fights as well. But goddamn, I hope I don't get sucked into this over <laughs> one and a half. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the, the prelim headliner here. This is where we have the lone weightness on the card. Uh, we have uh, Rong Zhu coming in at 160 pounds. You can even see it from the moment that he's, they show him on camera, trying to walk to the, towards the scale. Just like It, it just looks like a, a kid whose mom just told him that they can't have candy. Like The guy just looked horrible walking up to the scales, knew he was, was going to miss weight. Even, I believe he even asked if he could take his shorts off. Like That's going to make a goddamn difference, especially when you're four pounds over. Uh, but he misses weight. Ignacio Bahamundes comes in at 154.5, I believe. Uh, he's actually been uh, guilty of missing weight in the past. I believe it was against John McDessey, but it seems he's really rectified those issues. Uh, in terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 195 now for Bahamundes and plus 165 the return on Rong Zhu. Rong Zhu, I believe he's aligned himself down there at American Top Team. Uh, solid guys, solid training camp over there. But I wonder how much they're really going to be able to do for his overall game. Came out flat in his UFC debut against Rodrigo Vargas, where he uh, pooped the bed as a minus 250 favorite that night, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then in his next fight, takes on short notice Brandon Jenkins and absolutely puts a beating on him, eventually finishing him with mere seconds left in that third round. Uh, from his regional tape, seemed like a power puncher, right? We go through his record, has a lot of knockout victories, but another big kind of red flag is just level of competition there is not the greatest it kind of just you know makes you wonder uh how he's really going to work out in the ufc once he starts taking these steps up in competition and i think that ignacio bahamundes is a legitimate step up in competition bahamundes obviously himself fell flat in his ufc debut against veteran john mcdessey uh but the one thing that i liked from that fight even after getting cracked in round one he continued to bring the heat in round two and three he was not deterred by losing that uh, that first round and even though he still ended up losing a decision that night i still like the fact that he went out there and landed 75 significant strikes over the next 10 minutes going to show that this guy is a fighter man he likes to go out there he likes to throw volume and he will not be deterred by anything or any success that his opponent has early very simple for Zhurong here. I don't think he can match the pace of Ignacio. So unless he wants to kind of just bite, bite down on the mouthpiece and try to knock out Ignacio because Ignacio, that is one of his flaws. He is very hittable. Uh, other than that, I think uh, Rongshu needs to drag this fight to the ground. But from the takedown defense that we've been seeing from Ignacio, I'm pretty much sold that it's going to be very difficult for Rong to actually drag this fight to the ground. Uh, I, I believe Roosevelt Roberts went 0 of 12. On, <clears throat> sorry. On Whoa. <clears throat> I apologize. <clears throat> Uh, uh, Roosevelt Roberts went 0 of 12 on takedown attempts against Ignacio Baumundes. And uh, I, I'd be surprised if Rongzhu actually has more success than what Roosevelt was trying to get going there. Uh, outside of Rongzhu rocking him and hurting him on the feet, I just think he's going to get out volume. I think he's going to get punished with the with the output, with the strikes, the, the combinations. It all looks so fluid and so good from the Bahamundes side. I do like Bahamundes here a decent amount. The only thing is just his head ability and his potential of getting his chin cracked. He's never actually been finished by knockout, which is interesting to note, especially with how much he gets hit. But uh, that is a bit of a concern here. Uh, I'd still go Bahamundes. Bahamundes by decision, which is currently sitting at plus 165. And with the obvious weight miss here from Rongzhu, let's see how that actually impacts his durability in this fight. I'm not sure how much, uh, maybe you can even speak on this. Do you feel as though that is kind of a big red flag and could uh, impact his durability? And then ultimately let me know how you see this fight going down and who wins. No, it, it's funny you asked that. I was going to say, I, I was leaning Bahamondes um, via decision or, or maybe the over two and a half, even though he, that's a little chalky too. But I, I feel like kind of that whole narrative of both of these guys are durable. You know, I think Bahamondes, has the the advantage but you know uh zoo is durable enough but kind of with that weight miss it, it's so hard to tell like you say he looks so dejected i don't know you know if some guys really feel like that's a shameful thing and he kind of had that look on his face like so yeah. maybe that's in his head so i don't know i feel like you know i was kind of stretching a bit uh looking for a way to play this to go to decision either you know fight uh, winning by decision or over two and a half but with that weight miss and just not knowing how that's going to affect I mean, he's a really young guy too, you know, yeah. and I know some guys take that as such a shameful thing when they hear all these veterans talking about like, that's your one job and stuff. So again, I'm probably getting a little into the weeds reading into this, but kind of being on the fence to begin with and now with the wave missed, it's such a red flag. I just kind of want to stay away from it. 
Yeah, in terms of an actual prediction, are you still on the bottom one, I said? Yeah, yeah, I, I was kind of before, and now with, um, you know, the weight miss on, on top of it, 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 definitely leaning toward him. I just, I don't know if there's much value in, in betting him straight up, so you try to find another way to do it, and I just, I feel like kind of any idea you had for how he's going to win kind of goes out the window with the weight miss. Yeah, that, that's always difficult. Again, what we'll speak about in the main event as well, in terms of method of victories, is very difficult in certain fights that you think is going to be inside the distance, but could obviously go the full 15 or 25 minutes as well. All right, What's that's a when you bet him to win inside the distance and they dominate for 15 minutes, you know, two or three times the rest in there ready to pull off backs <laughs> yeah. up. Like they, it seems like every time I bet a, a say I know it's selective memory, but man, it, it burns. Oh, no, I know exactly what you mean. There's always those close, close, whether you're betting an under, if I doesn't go to decision by decision, whatever it is, there's always those moments where it's like. <sighs> Oh, I want just throw two more punches. Throw two, two more punches. That's all you need. <laughs> all right. That is a wrap on the prelims. Shout out to the 50 live viewers that we currently have as well. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below. Show my guy Dan Stubb some love as well. I know he's usually the guy behind the scenes, but trust me, he has a wealth of knowledge, as you guys can already see, and he has a ton to offer as well in terms of useful information. So please do hit my guy with the uh, follow. Link to his Twitter page is in the description below. Show him some love. All right. Let's move on to the main card. We have a middleweight scrap starting off the card here. We got Armand uh, or Armin Petrosian going up against Gregory Rodriguez. They both weighed in at 186 pounds. In terms of odds, we currently have minus 155 on Hobocop and we got plus 135 on Petrosian. Uh, fun fight here, man. I, I'm very much looking forward to this fight. I actually have Armin Petrosian as my dog of the night play here. I got on him uh, at uh, plus 150. Now the line is obviously moving down to plus 135. Still don't mind it there, man. Uh, watching his regional tape, I'm very impressed with what I see, especially his ability to deal with guys that are trying to take the fight into a grapple-heavy uh, scenario, right? Uh, he might give up his back every now and then, trying to break the lock of his opponents, but he gets out gets back into open space, and then starts to let his hands go. His cardio looks good, especially for somebody who defensively grapples as much as he does, and then still to hold that power later on into a fight. It's very promising against the guy in Hobo or Robocop. I keep wanting to say Hobocop because <laughs> the R in Brazilian and Portuguese and all that stuff, so I'll try to <laughs> stay away from that. But with Robocop... Um, We've seen that. We saw it in the Junior Park fight, right? Like we've seen in past fights as well. When he's forced to exert a lot of energy, his cardio does not look the greatest. And I feel as though this is a fight where he's going to have to exert a lot of energy, trying to get Armin Petrosian to the ground and start to dominate with his Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But we both know this, uh, Dan. When you grapple as much as uh, Robocop is going to be looking to grapple here, that's how you exert the most energy in MMA. In an MMA fight. I see people kind of pointing to the Dusko Todorovich fight saying, oh, he doesn't have bad cardio. But that's a fight that that he was able to kind of fight at his pace. He was able to keep it in the striking. He knew that there wasn't much, uh, you know, coming back from uh, Dusko Todorovic. So he's kind of just able to just set a pace, just keep walking forward, keep throwing strikes, keep walking forward, keep throwing strikes. And he was able to pull that fight out via decision. Here, though, if he tries to pull off a similar thing, I think he's taking a canvas snap. I don't think he can trade in the pocket with Armin Petrosian here. Uh, and I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, you know, you might be getting him confused with the kickboxer Armin Petrosian. No. <laughs> I'm not. I'm watching his tape. I'm watching his past fights. That's where I'm getting this information from. And his striking looks amazing. The guy throws in combinations. He's very active with his leg kicks, which is something I like. Uh, he's disciplined, but also tactical in, in a very good way. And what I mean by that is like he he, he doesn't wait too long for his openings he creates openings whether it's with the leg kick whether it's with a combination and then eventually he finds that chin of his opponents and puts them down robocop on the other hand we're we're hearing about his jujitsu accolades where you know we keep hearing about that stuff but when i go back and watch the tape i'm not super impressed with what i've been seeing sure you get uh the back of junior park i believe for for a couple minutes but not able to finish a, a submission at all or even get close to a submission there and even uh, uh, in the LFA scene before coming to the UFC, fighting Lil Ol Almatavo, uh, you know, very small dude at that weight class, uh, being able to get back to his feet with relative ease, that's a big red flag for me as well. Where's that jiu-jitsu? He might showcase it here, don't get me wrong, but knowing that he's working with high-level wrestlers, uh, this is Petrosian I'm talking about, knowing that he's working with high-level wrestlers, I feel as though he's going to be able to stop most of the takedown attempts and then keep this fight on the feet, get back to his feet, and then get back to work with his, uh, with his striking. Last thing I would say about this fight, and then I'll bring it on over to you, Dan. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Derek Brunson versus Jared Cannonier, but 
I think that Robocop has much better striking than Derek Brunson. So that's kind of where the difference is there. But both of them needing to get the fight to the ground to have success. Whereas Der Jared Cannonier and Petrosian, from what I've been seeing, they have great takedown defense and they have great get-ups. And that's all I need to see, especially when they have the knockout power advantage as well. So I'm going Petrosian. Petrosian by knockout, plus 200. I think that's a damn good spot as well. Could Robocop slap on a submission? It's possible. And at plus 450, not a bad hedge opportunity as well. If you're a little bit too scared that he will actually get it, get the takedown here. But I'm on the Petrosian side. I think he has a super fantastic debut here. Knocks out Robocop in the round uh, in the second round. And uh, yeah, I think it's off to the races after that. What do you what do you make of these two guys, and how do you think this goes down? I'm just sitting here for the past five minutes, shaking my head. Yeah, because I, I think you nailed it. I, I think this fight has a huge potential for fireworks. I, I'm really excited for this one. Um, you know, I, I could see both guys kind of getting a, a little while to just feeding it. I think the crowd's going to be into it. I, I think it's a good spot on the card where people are going to want to see some fireworks. Obviously, I, I've, like I've said, I, I like uh, plus money. I like uh, small dogs. I, I feel like this is pretty close to a 50-50 fight and getting any plus money is great. Obviously, you've got a, a, a better line than, and, than people can get now. And if you bet it a few days before that, you'd get an even better line. So, you know, I, I like the ones where, you know, people are sleeping on them and, and the, the small underdog gets bet up and here, you know, kind of a, a bigger underdogs, uh, now a smaller underdog. But I still think there's a, a lot of value there. Um, you know, kind of any of the plays, the over goes to decisions, pretty chalky. Um, but, you know, I, I like Petrosian uh, straight up and, um, you know, I, I think in the small cage too, there's just, gonna, we're going to see a lot of fireworks here. I like it. I like it. And uh, just further to your point about small underdogs, uh, shout out to betmma.tips, great tracking yeah. website, probably one of the best sites that I use. They have a statistic out there that shows the performance of people from, you know, big favorites, slight favorites, slight underdogs, and uh, big underdogs. The most profitable range is the slight underdog. And the, the most, uh, you know, where people take the most losses is a slight favorite and not saying it is you know um important in regards to this fight specifically but just as a general rule of thumb most people lose money on that slight favorite most people make money on the slight underdog we'll see if this weekend as well we can uh uh you know bring further proof to that uh to that statistic and see our guy armin petros and get his hand raised all right Let's move on to the next fight here. Another Armin with an A this time. We got Armand Sarukian going up against Joel Alvarez. Uh, 156 for Armand Sarukian and 156 on the nose for Joel Alvarez on his second attempt. First attempt with the shorts on. Cracks uh, 156 and a half. Never knew underwear could weigh 0.5 pounds, but here we are weighing in at 156 pounds. Joel Alvarez makes the weight. In terms of odds, we got minus uh ba, 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 ba. we got minus 220 for sarukian plus 180 for joel alvarez alvarez was hanging closer to plus 270 before the 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 spanish army came in and invaded that line and absolutely drove it down to plus 180 uh very fun fight very volatile fight i must say um i am officially picking alvarez as my pick to to win this fight but I hate myself for even picking against a guy like Sarukian, who I've said time and time again, one of the best 155-pounders on the planet. But I think that this could be a very interesting stylistic matchup, given the obvious height advantage for Joel Alvarez, obvious size advantage for Joel Alvarez, and just obvious nastiness advantage. You know what I mean, the guy goes out there and puts absolute crazy shots together. Uh, we saw him dispatch with Tiago Moises in a way that nobody was able to do before. We've seen him in there against guys like Benio Dariush and Islam Mahachev yet nobody's been able to do anything like that to him. Uh, and, and I feel we see a big confidence uh, change from Joel Alvarez from his UFC debut uh, against uh, uh, Demir Ismagulov, who very tough opponent there, uh, and now obviously dispatching of Tiago Moises last time around. But even before that, right, yeah, Alexander Yakovlev uh, uh, getting the armbar on him, choking out Joe Duffy, and all of those as big uh, underdogs. And I am guilty of being on the big favorite in the Tiago Moises and the uh, Joe, Def Do Joe Duffy fights. I think he's finally won my respect. I'm not sure if I'm overreacting to it. I don't know what it is, but I feel as though uh, he, he goes out there and tries to finish dudes. Now, I, I feel, I understand why people are on the uh, Sarukian side. He has the more dependable 
tools here, which is getting the takedown, grinding him out from on top. He has decent enough striking to possibly stay safe. People don't really like betting on the guy that goes out there and just gets finishes because they're like, what if he doesn't get the finish? Then he's probably screwed. But I, I feel like they're just not giving enough respect to the guy that's going out there and getting the finish like Joel Alvarez is, right? And there's going to be a lot of space for Armand Sarukin to cover here to try to get a striking off and then eventually get that takedown. And I could see instances where, you know, Sarukin has struggled to keep guys on the mat. And if he is going to struggle to keep a guy like Joel Alvarez on the mat, he will have to deal with that heavy striking style of Alvarez, try to close that distance again, and eventually get the takedown again, maybe desperation takedown, which leaves his neck open to that Joel Alvarez special, which is that guillotine. So uh, I do like the Alvarez side here. Uh, again, I just don't feel good betting against the guy in Armand Petrosian who is just so goddamn good himself. But if I was to bet Joel Alvarez, I would take him inside the distance. And that line is currently sitting at plus 330, uh, even Alvarez by KO is at plus 800. Could see him potentially catching uh, Sarukin and then just ground and pounding him. Um, and then on the on the Sarukin side, if you like Sarukin, I think Sarukin by decision at plus 180 would be the way to go here. Minus 220 in hindsight might seem like a gift if he does go out there and just implement his game plan the way that he normally does. But man, Joel Alvarez is just so goddamn scary, Dad. Am I am I am I too high on Joel Alvarez? What do you see in there? No, I, I was actually big on Alvarez too. I mean, I, I guess I can understand, you know, why he's the the underdog, but I, I that price just seems too too high, especially with kind of the ways he can win. I think he's got advantages, kind of in a small cage. Um, you know, I, I kind of worried about him, not mentally, but just you know, but I don't know, seeing him joking about missing weight and stuff. Like I, I think he's having a grand old time this week and expects to win. I, I think he's in a, a good spot. I think this fight. Um, you know, and a, a small cage plays well for him. And I think uh, uh, Sarukian uh, kind of, I feel like he kind of relies on that brute strength. And like you said, kind of with the guillotines and stuff, I, I think that 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 could actually work against him. So I don't know, you know, it, 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 it's a fairly close fight and for plus money. And especially, like you said, the plus 300, plus, plus 330 inside the distance. Uh, I, I don't think that's a bad way at all to play that fight. Yeah, this should tell us a lot about both guys here, especially on the Alvarez side. I hope we do get to see this fight extended a little bit just to see what we're truly getting with Alvarez. But uh, yeah, easily, I got to say that this is the people's main event. A lot of people very much looking forward to this fight. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I heard some rumblings that there was a good chance that Sarukin was not going to accept this fight if Alvarez came in overweight. Thankfully, we're not going to have to find out whether that was true or not because our man made the weight. All right. Let's go on to the next fight here. How we go from Saruki and Alvarez to Ji Yoon Kim against Priscilla Castro? I don't know, Dan. I don't know how we ended up here, but here we are. In terms of weight, we got uh, 126 uh, from Kim, 125 from Cashuera. In terms of odds, we got minus 160 on Kim, plus 140 on Priscilla Cashuera. Um uh, the over right now is actually kind of intriguing to me. At minus 200, uh, seems to be a little bit of a steal, especially in a women's MMA fight that will more than likely be taking place on the feet. I get it. Kashore has a little bit of knockout power, but I think that Kim moves well enough that she should be able to stifle that knockout power and then just let her kind of pitter patter striking go. Uh, I'm seeing love for Kashore out there, and I think a lot of that is instilled from the Molly McCann victory, uh, how she was able to beat Ji Yoon Kim last time around, you know, uh, pretty much using the type of strategy that Cashuera is going to use. Move forward, try to close the distance, try to get out some strikes, rinse, repeat, try to find the knockout. But the difference between Molly McCann and Priscilla Cashuera, McCann's a lot more agile. She likes to move a little bit more. She's a little bit more, bit more bouncy on her feet, and she can close that distance a lot better than what Cashuera will be able to. Cashuera, flat-footed, marches forward, doesn't really cut off the cage much, and she just wants to go out there and fight exactly what her nickname says, and that's like a zombie. She wants to fight like a zombie girl. Just go out there and try to take her head off. It, Kim does a decent job in terms of you know, moving well and getting her strikes off from distance. She had a damn good performance against Alexa Grasso as well. Very competitive fight there. Um, but I think that this is a, a tailor-made matchup for her, not to mention a pink slip matchup for her too, because if she loses this fight, more than likely she finds herself packing in on outside of the UFC. But I do like uh, Kim here to go out there and just pitter-patter from the outside and win this fight via decision. I haven't pulled the uh, trigger on this bet yet, but I think I'm going to. Uh, Kim via decision currently sitting at plus 120. 
pretty much pitting her straight up, right? Cashware is very difficult to put away. I'd be surprised if Kim catches her with anything to actually put her on wobbly legs or put her out in this fight. So uh, I'm going to go Kim. think she wins a cleaner fight while Cashware is kind of just throwing at, at, at air. The only concern is optically speaking, it looks good for Cashware to be the one moving forward and throwing shots. It, hopefully Kim just minds her P's and Q's, lands those straight straight shots down the middle, continues to move, continues to stay uh, pivoting and getting out of the pocket exchanges, and she should more than likely win this fight. How do you see this one going down? I, I see plus money for Koshuera for uh, under two and a half for not go to decision, and it, I, I'm trying to find reasons to to get there and talk myself into to one of those plus money uh, bets. But like you said, I, I think this uh, fight really does suit Kim well. Uh, Kashera can hit. Um, I, I think she's going to be a little quicker to the punch. We, we've seen some power and durability, but I, I, don't, I don't think it's anything that Kim can't really uh, withstand. I, I just don't think she has those sustained attacks that's really going to kind of put her in trouble. Uh, you know, if she could string together, you know, a, a good volley of shots kind of in the small cage and stuff, maybe that, that would work to your advantage. But I don't know. I think even if you're leaning toward Koshiera, um, the, the value there has kind of evaporated over the week. You're just not getting a good price anymore. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're going to play it and, and you like Kim, I think Kim via decision is pretty much the only way to go. I think if you're on the other side of it, you're probably just a little too late to really get any value out of it. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree with your take there as well. Uh, like I said, a lot of early money coming in on Priscilla Cashwell earlier this week. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that that value is more than likely evaporated by this point in time. All right, co-main event time. Misha Serkinov weighing in at 185.5 pounds. How that man makes that weight, I still don't know. While Dan is currently getting a call, that's currently fine. That's totally fine. We, we roll with the punches here, Dan. That's all right. I missed everything. <laughs> That's the magic of live streaming. No worries, my man. Uh, yeah, 185.5 for Misha Serkinov. Second time down to the middleweight division. Wellington Terman coming in at 185 on the nose. In terms of odds, we got minus 120 on Serkinov, plus 100 on Wellington Terman. And when we saw these guys face off earlier today, you see the obvious size advantage that Misha Serkinov intended on having when came down when he came down to 185 pounds. I'll say I was very impressed with his last um, performance, even though he came up on the short end of the stick against Christoph Jotko. Uh, his cardio looked good. His durability looked good. And he was able to maintain it from minute one to minute 15, going for takedowns, trying to get the finish, trying to, you know, re really just, just, just get the W. But uh, Christoph Jocko was just a little bit quicker to the punch, a little bit more refined with the striking, and just a step ahead pretty much the entire time. Here against Wellington Terman, though, uh, Terman has shown a horrible fight IQ in the past, and it just is something that cannot be overlooked. Uh, but I, I do think that this is going to be one of those circumstances where we're going to get a grappling match between both these guys. But Serkinov might just be the stronger guy in this situation, might be able to get the better positions, will get the top position, and then eventually be able to either rain down shots from on top or find a submission at a certain point. The spot that I was kind of looking at was the fight doesn't go to decision, but that's obviously sticking at minus 200, which actually not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be closer to minus 350, minus 400. Uh, so I kind of talking out a turn right there. But uh, th my concern there is if they do nullify each other on the ground and this does become a 50-minute grappling match, that is absolutely a possibility. But Misha Serkinov fights to finish, and that's what I uh, respect about the guy. Wellington Turner might be able to... Uh, you know, to tangle with him here on the ground. But I think at a certain point, we'll see uh, Sirkinov, uh either land some big shots from on top or wrap up uh, an arm triangle choke, whatever it might be. I do think he'll be able to get that finish and bring this on home. So uh, even Sirkinov inside the distance uh, that is currently sitting at uh, my, plus 150, I don't think that's a bad look either. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll go with uh, Sirkinov to get his first win uh, in the middleweight division. How are you seeing this one? Yeah, I've kind of gone back and forth on this fight. I, I was actually pretty big on, on Terman earlier in the week. But like you said, uh, I, I, I think at weigh-ins, it was obvious why Serkinov dropped the weight class. Like, we get it now. You see that he's the bigger guy. He can use that, you know, that advantage. Um, I, I didn't think he, at least physically, he didn't look that great the first time he cut it. I think this time around, he, he's probably a little more comfortable and, and that, uh, you know, the comfort kind of at the weight now, uh, the the clear size. And like you said, I, I think Terman uh, doesn't always fight with the, the smartest IQ. I think you kind of throw all that together and what's basically a 50-50 fight, and it's hard not to go with the small favorite in this one with Serkinov. 
I like it. I like it. Uh, the, the placement on this uh, of this card in the co-main event slot has me kind of scratching my head. I mean, it, it's obvious. You should be going with Joel Alvarez versus Armand Sarukian. But, uh, you know, apparently the UFC does a ton of research on where their numbers peak at during their cards and, you know, where they should be putting certain fights. So maybe they know something. Maybe people, they know that people like to go to the bathroom during the third fight on the main card, which is why they put Jim Kim and Priscilla Cashfire there. Who knows? But they're a multi-billion dollar company at this point in time. So uh, apparently they're doing something, right? We'll see how that turns out. All right. Uh, that brings us to the main event. And uh, reminding the 100 live viewers that we currently have in here, make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe. And show my guy Dan some love as well. Uh, his Twitter account is linked in the description below. So make sure you guys show him some love. Uh, absolute OG of the game. And it is an absolute pleasure to have him on breaking down this card with me. All right. Main event time, 160-pound catch weight. We got Islam Mahachev weighing in right on the nose at 160. Bobby Green weighing in at 158 pounds, apparently cutting 30-ish pounds over the last week or so to try to make the weight. Absolutely insane. What, an, uh, what a G of the game, right? Bobby Green fighting two weeks ago against Nazra Hackprast. Picks up a great victory that night. One of his best in terms of just absolutely butchering his opponent that night. Trading in the pocket with him and just landing combinations. Really hurting Nazra Hackpress. Not finishing him, but that's Bobby Green, right? It's weird how many in-the-pocket exchanges we see him over in every single fight, but we never see a finish transpire other than the ally Quinta fight. And then eight years to the date, that was the anniversary of uh, eight-year anniversary of the last time he got a finish over James Cross, but that wasn't even a legitimate finish. That was like a, a low blow. If you guys haven't seen that fight, I would highly recommend going back to see that fight to see a, a comical fight there with Bobby Green getting a point taken away from uh, nut shots and then eventually winning via nut shot, which was very, very weird. But either way, uh, great pocket boxer, like I said. Uh, uh, great, you know, he has that Philly shell, likes to roll a lot with his shots, which is why you don't really see him get knocked out. But he doesn't really have to worry about the Philly shell this weekend because he's going to have to worry about that that takedown defense, trying to get those underhooks, trying to stuff the head, whatever it may be, to try to keep this fight on the ground or on the feet. But I think he's going to fail in doing so. So I'm so I'm certain Dan is going to be picking Islam Mahachev as well, just as I am. But the real real question here to try to extract some value from this fight is the over under, which is currently at two and a half. I took a shot personally at plus 110 on the over two and a half, as I do think that this fight will be a little bit more uh, harder for Islam Mahachev to find that finish. He will eventually find the finish, I believe, probably in the fourth or fifth round. But I think it's going to take a little bit of time for him to eventually find that. We've seen uh, Bobby Green deal with you know high-level black belts in the past and survive on the ground, do a good job in terms of staying safe. And I get it. Islam Mahachev is a completely different beast uh, compared to a lot of these guys. But it's not like Mahachev was going out there and you know has always been this crazy finish from on top. Like it took him into the fourth round to beat a guy like Tiago Moises. Uh, the Dan Hooker fight. Let's not forget, Hooker took that fight on less than a month's notice. I think he was just doing a favor for the UFC that night. Finds himself in a Kimura, eventually gets tapped there. Uh, Drew Dober finishes him uh, in the third round of that fight. And I, if anything... I rate uh, Bobby Green a lot better than Drew Dober, especially with their defensive grappling. Uh, and then, you know, many fights before that, Nick Lentz, um, Chris Wade, all these fights that are going the full 15 minutes. And yes, you can make up the, not make up, but you can also allude to Islam getting better, getting more comfortable in the cage. And now that's why he's probably finding all these finishes. But we can't overlook the defensive grappling game of Bobby Green, which I think is being understated in this spot. So yeah, I, I do like Makhachev. You know, that that's no surprise to anybody here. But uh, where I'm going to plant my foot is the over two and a half. I do like that at plus 110. And uh, I, I do think that we'll see Islam potentially get the finish later in this fight. I'd be surprised if he gets caught by anything from Bobby Green on the feet. I think he'll be good enough to evade those shots from Bobby Green, eventually get the fight to the ground. But I think it's going to take him some time to break down Bobby Green and eventually get that finish later in this fight. How do you see this one going down? I, I broke my golden rule of not betting openers because I got all intrigued after the Bobby Green win and had to jump and place a little bet on him, um, which was stupid because now the line's gone up even more if, you, if you're back and Bobby here. But yeah, I like like you, I think I, that one I bet with my heart and then with my head, I bet the over one and a half at minus 162 when I saw Ooh, it. Beautiful. But yeah. So it was like, this isn't going to be around much longer. I'm getting a gift here. If I'm going to play this flag, maybe this will make up for my dumb, you know, throwing a unit on, on Bobby Green as soon as it opened because I was because I'm a stupid gambler who likes a good story. Um, but no, I, I, think I bet a unit on Bobby Green, folks. Yeah. 
<laughs> I was that guy. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, it, that, that's a tough thing with MMA betting. And, and it's tough the way I do it, which is I know I'm not the best technical nuts and bolts guy, but I know people who are. So I like to listen to them talk about fights and kind of, you know, shape my narrative. Um, but, you know, with this one, I, you know, I, I probably should have listened a little more closely to people like you who, who know what you're talking about and don't get uh, super intrigued with, with uh, Bobby Green here. I, I wasn't really uh, kind of a believer in Makachev until uh, he beat up through Dober. And, and that was probably because I had a lot of money on Dober. And when you lose money, you remember stuff. So you oh, don't yeah. make those mistakes again. Clearly, I didn't remember it well enough here. But no, I, I think there's a lot, you know, just the fact that Bobby Green took this fight, um, you know, he's got some confidence. And I, I think a lot of guys were beaten ever before they got in the cage, you know, fighting Islam. Um, you know, he, he's fluid. Uh, he's got good defense. Uh, it, it's a small cage. He's going to get taken down. down but I, I don't think he's the type you can just smother for extended periods of times. He's crafty enough. He's clever enough. I, I, you know, for me, it's just that race to to get to two and a half or, or to seven and a half minutes in the fight. And, and I think he's veteran enough. He's savvy enough. He's got the confidence. I, I, I'm confident he can get past a round and a half. Beyond that, my confidence of him actually pulling off the upset starts to, to wane a little bit. Um, but I, I, I do like the, the over round and a half. And I, I think, you know, it's clear that Islam's the favorite here. I, I think, you know, he's going to win obviously more times than he doesn't. Uh, but I can't fault you if you think there's a little value in that Bobby Green line, even if there's not a, a clear path to victory, you know? Yeah, uh, honestly, I think if you want to get the most juice for your squeeze, you got to go with Bobby Green via TKO. And and I know he's not relatively a, a big finisher, but it's hard to see him winning minutes in this fight. Like, if he's able to keep this as a 25-minute kickboxing match, sure, he probably wins this fight, but... <sighs> I'd be mystified if he's able to keep this fight on the feet for longer than four minutes or even three minutes. But uh, yeah, uh, Bobby Green via KO would probably be the way to go. Um, but yeah, I I'm glad that we're both on the over here as well. Uh, you do have the over one and a half. Do you like the over two and a half just as much? Or what are your thoughts on that? I was just actually pulling that up to see why. I mean, it's plus money. It looks like you can get a plus 105, plus 115 if you can find it. There, there's probably still a little value in there, but you know, for me, it, it, I mean, I wish you could do maybe over two rounds, you know, I, I just feel like by that third round, uh, maybe he starts to find a stride and, and figure out kind of how to keep him down. Um, but you know, any main event fight, I, I feel like almost anybody, um, you know, can drag it out for a round and a half, especially a guy like Bobby Green, but for sure, for two sure. and a half, I, I'd be a little more hesitant. Uh, I wish I went with the one and a half as well when it was still sticking around there. But now at two and a half, uh, I'll still take I'll, stay, I'll take that small plus money gamble and hopefully it plays off this time around. All right, that is a wrap on the predictions and breakdowns. The last thing we like to do on the show is give uh, the lock of the night play or the most confident play that me and Dan have on the card. I have no lock of the night play on this card. This is a very sketchy card from a betting perspective. Uh, my my biggest play right now is a unit and a half on Armin Petrosian at plus 151. Besides that, I have one unit on uh, Jonathan Martinez plus Ignacio Bahamundas parlay. That's also for plus 110. And then I have a unit on uh, the over two and a half on Islam Mahachev and Bobby Green at plus 110 as well. I got no luck, but if I were to give you guys one, um, the the one that I feel most confident about would probably be uh, Bahamundes and Martinez parlay, uh, roughly around even money. If you can get that, I think that's a decent spot. I might add to that. I might add another unit to that, just just because uh, again, it is probably the one that I feel best about. Um, and with the weight miss here from uh, Rongju, uh, kind of gives me a little bit more confidence on the Ignacio side. I was thinking of playing the decision prop for Ignacio, but I could see the finish transpires here, the finish transpire here as well, in case uh, Zurong did leave a lot of him in that sauna and on the scale. Dan, what do you like the most? I, I, I like that over one and a half in the main event, but obviously that that's long gone. People aren't going to get that. Uh, honestly, I, I think there's a lot of value in McKinney inside the distance. The fact that they're, uh, you know, giving you basically uh, twice the, the the return, betting him straight up versus inside the distance. I, you know, I, I love, you know, when there's discrepancies like that, when there's, you know, a, a big discrepancy between like over two and a half rounds and goes to decision, you know, where they give you, you know, 
so I, I think there's some value there. Uh, I, I really like your uh, in the first round play too. I, I think there's a lot of value there. Um, I think the other one that stuck out to me was Alvarez. I, I just think, you know, at that dulled money, um, it, it, I think he wins that enough to make that a, a good long-term bet. If you could bet that a hundred times, I think you're going to come out ahead uh, more often than not. And I, I, I just don't think you find, um, you know, I, I feel like it's close to a 50-50 fight and it's hard to find plus 80. And I know a lot of that value is, some of the value is gone already, but uh, I, I think that's a great price if you're looking for, you know, some some dog money. There you go. It seems like there's going to be a lot of dogs barking on this card. Hopefully it's not Perez or Zuron, but we'll see how that goes down. Uh, Dan, honestly, I appreciate you taking out time and doing this, uh, breaking down the card with me. I had a ton of fun. Hope you did as well. Uh, I'll give you the platform one last time if there's anything you want to plug or say, and then I'll wrap this thing up on the back end. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, D-A-N-N-S-T-U-P-P. Uh, I've tweet some gambling stuff. But uh, if you're in Maryland or Virginia, the area, I actually run playmaryland.com and playvirginia.com. Great place to, to get some information about legal sports bets and, and things like that. So, uh, but otherwise, just uh, come find me on Fight Night on Twitter. I'm usually hanging around making dumb jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and then don't forget, at Dan Stubb, don't forget the extra N. <laughs> don't forget the extra head from my guy dan stop there and also if you're uh, finding yourself on the hiking trails in virginia somewhere i'm sure you'll see my guy dan over there too as he's an avid hiker as well so uh yeah very much like seeing some of those pictures that you post whenever you go out there in nature as well uh dan once again appreciate you coming on and doing this good luck on your bets and wagers tomorrow as well appreciate everybody that joined us live for the show anybody that's watching on the repeat as well make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe show my dan uh, show my guy dan some love as well with uh, his twitter handle in the description below and yeah good luck on your bets i will see you guys again tonight 7 p.m eastern on instagram at mmalotn for an ig live where i talk to you guys going through as many of you guys as i can in 60 minutes hearing what bets you guys have for tomorrow then 9 p.m i'm going to be on with my guy uh narco cop and cheek bay we're going to be doing the lambo plays podcast where we give you guys a plus 500 or better for every single fight seeing what we can uncover and hopefully make you guys some extra money with some plus money plays. And lastly, 1 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, fight day live chat right here on this channel, taking all last minute questions, comments, and concerns from the live chat. Ton of content, and we're 24 hours away from the fights. That's how your boy rolls. That's how we keep growing. Appreciate everybody checking out the show. Dan, once again, love you for coming on. Good luck on your wages tomorrow. And uh, let's say war Ignacio Bahamundes. Although I shouldn't be saying the war word right now considering everything going on in the world. But you guys know what I mean. Good luck on your best tomorrow, folks.